Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. Did y'all know that much like we have a gut microbiome, we also have a skin microbiome, which means we have tons of beneficial bacteria on our skin that protect us from pathogens. And did you also know that when you use harsh soaps and chemicals on your body, it can it can kill those bacteria and it can also create other imbalances, pH imbalances, et cetera, within the skin microbiome. So when I learned this information a couple of years ago, I stumbled upon Alivia skincare, and we have been using it exclusively ever since. So Alivia has body cleanser, so it's like a body wash. My entire family uses it, and not only actually do we use it on our skin as body wash, but we also use it for our hair. Like I don't have shampoo for my kids. I use Alivia for my kids. And I love Alivia because not only does it smell amazing, but it's 100% natural and organic. It's non-toxic. It's free of all artificial fragrances and dyes. It's environmentally friendly. And it's not a soap. It is a prebiotic body cleanser. So it actually helps support and nourish that skin microbiome. And it works so well, especially if you have sensitive skin. It can help with eczema, pariasis, body acne, things like that. We love the green tea honeysuckle scent. It smells heavenly. It's so amazing. I usually stock up and get like five bottles at a time so that I can get free shipping. And they last a really long time. Like five or six bottles will last me, my whole family, about a year or so. So you can go to alivia.com. That's A-L-E-A-V-I-A.com and use the code TaylorK15 and that will save you 15% off of all of your Alivia orders. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Today, we have a really cool episode all about homeschooling. So I got the privilege of chatting with Lindsay of Treehouse Schoolhouse all about homeschooling, what homeschooling looks like for her family, what she loves about homeschooling, things like how to find the right curriculum for your family. There is so much we cover in this episode, so I hope you'll give it a listen. Lindsay is a homeschool mama of four and the founder of Treehouse Schoolhouse. Before motherhood, Lindsay had a career in children's ministry and special needs education. Her home education centers around living books and ideas, hands-on learning, nature exploration, and biblical discipleship. She shares experiences and home education inspiration through her Instagram and blog, as well as creates curriculum and resources for families around the world. Her most popular curriculum titles are An Expectant Easter, A Connected Christmas, and Treehouse Nature Study. I loved getting to chat all things homeschool with Lindsay, and I think you'll enjoy this episode too. So without further ado, let's get to this interview. 
Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining me today. Would you mind just introducing yourself to our listeners for those don't know, who don't know you and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Hey, I am Lindsay Mimna, and I am from Treehouse Schoolhouse. Um, I am a mom of four, and I also run a small business, Treehouse Schoolhouse. We are a curriculum development company, as well as a blog and a YouTube. Um, we've been homeschooling since the beginning, and my oldest is almost 10. I cannot even believe that. Um, so we've been homeschooling for, um, since he was, you know, four or five, we kind of started getting our feet wet with kind of some early year stuff. And before that, I actually had a career in Christian education and in a private teaching position. So I fell in love with homeschooling before I was even a mom. And so now it's come full circle and I get to homeschool my own children and run a homeschooling business. I love that. I've been following you on Instagram for a while and I appreciate the, just the wealth of information you share. Um, and it's, I love following homeschool accounts that are inspiring and encouraging. Um, cause I think there is a lot of, mixed messaging out there about homeschooling, but could you just tell us like, what are some of the major reasons that you chose to homeschool and what do you love most about it? Oh man, I could talk a really long time. This is one of those things that when someone says like, what could you talk forever and ever about? So I'll try to keep it short, but, um, I have, so my first two children are actually hearing impaired and they were born with hearing impairment. We did not had it run in our family. We had absolutely no idea. I had never held a pair of hearing aids in my life. And when we discovered that they were hearing impaired, we had seen some behaviors in my older son that were um, being affected by that, um, some sensory processing things. And um, so I just have really struggled with even taking him to the library or um, taking him in group playdate settings just because he had difficult uh, difficulty with language skills. It was a late talker. Um, didn't really understand what we were doing. It took him a long time to catch up, did not want to sit still for books. All of those things that I kind of had dreamed of in having children, we were not getting there. And so I just knew for him, I wanted to adapt everything that we did so that he could understand, so that he could hear, so that he could fall in love with learning and not be put in a box of, you know, just being delayed or um, being treated differently or him even knowing that he had these struggles. And so that was one big thing. But then I just fell in love with it. My, my second daughter, uh, my second child, she did not have any of those same struggles. Even though she's hearing impaired, she got her hearing aids um, as a baby. And so she was able to just completely speak well and function well. Um, but we just really fell in love with the culture of home education, not just being about that time block that you're, you know, quote unquote, doing school but that it really infiltrates in your entire day and even at night and even on the weekends and just your entire home atmosphere. And so I really just fell in love with this idea that it was a whole family learning together, growing together. And I think one of my favorite things is that I am there for when those light bulbs go off, when they make those connections, like we're reading a really great story and they really get a kick out of something that the character is or does. And then later in real life, we see something that reminds us of the story. And we have this bond because I was with them when that light bulb went off. And now I'm with them when they're making a real life connection. Whereas I could just imagine if they were at school and they're reading a book with their teacher or in class. And I don't really know what they're learning. I don't really completely know all of those moments. And then there's a real life connection later. I feel like I would miss it. I would miss that moment of, you remember when we learned this? Oh my goodness, now look at this. See how that life connection happens? 
And um, so those, that's kind of one of my favorite things. And then I just really love um, the creativity of it. I love that I can make it my own and that I can really pass down the things that are important to me, the things that are important to my husband in our values, in our morals, in our hobbies, in the way that God created us, that we can pass those things down to our children. I'm a very creative person. And so we have a lot of art and creativity and music in our homeschooling. My husband is an outdoorsman and a, a carpenter. And so we have a lot of that kind of thing in our homeschool. And so it's more than passing down um, education from textbooks. It's really giving you an opportunity to have so much time to really pass down what you believe and what you love and how you view the world to your children because you're with them so much. Um, and I do believe that families that don't homeschool can do that, but it's just the reality that the more hours that we have with our children, the more opportunity we have to pass down those important things. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love everything you said. I remember, um, going into college and like being on my own, living on my own for the first time. And I went to public school and I, yeah. So I remember having this feeling of, I have no idea how to live in the world. Like, I wish that I had been prepared better in school or at home. I didn't know how to cook real food. Mm -hmm. I, I knew how to do my laundry because that was one of my chores growing up, but I didn't know, like, I didn't know where things were in the grocery store. Yeah. Uh, there were just certain things that were so hard for me to learn when I lived on my own. And that's one of the things that I'm so excited about with homeschooling is it's not your, like you said, it's not just textbook stuff. It's, it's incorporating life into life is school. Life is a huge part of school. Um, and so that's something that I love to, I'm so excited to have the opportunity to teach my children and really adequately prepare them for life. Um, and Definitely. hopefully, yeah, like not miss out on those, those educational opportunities that I feel like I missed out on growing up and had to quickly learn when I was already living on my own. Oh, definitely. And a lot of lost skills too. Like, I feel like it's really important for boys to learn how to build things and girls to learn how to cook. And so, and vice versa too. I mm -hmm. want my boys to learn those things, my girls to learn those things. And just to have these life skills that they can garden and, you know, all of these things that I feel like are really important and they're not learning them in school and they can still learn them at home if they're homeschooled. But again, it's the time. Yeah. And so if you see that as school and you see that even social skills, you know, we have a lot of conversations about uh, self-awareness and about emotional regulation and about you know, um, hospitality. And so sometimes a school day looks like us preparing the whole day for a dinner guest together. And so you're talking through, what does it look like to set the table? When our friends come over, we should offer them a drink first. You know, these types of things that they're not going to be learning at school. And these are the things that are going to really serve them well in life. Um, I wrote a post recently, I wrote a blog post with a, free, a freebie about like a hundred life skills to teach your children. And so it's like a checklist of even these simple things, like learn how to fry an egg, like, yeah. you know, like learn how to change an air filter, things that same as you, like I got my first apartment at 19 and lived in a different town than my family. And I felt like a fish out of water and I didn't even know how to find out, you know, well, we didn't, I don't even right. think we had Google back then, or maybe we did. I'm aging myself, but it's, it was harder to like we didn't definitely didn't have YouTube videos that I could quickly be like how to fry an egg, but yeah. I just want, I, I wish I, I wish I would have learned those things from my family. Right. 
Yeah. I remember being in college and calling my mom at the grocery store. Hey mom, what section would I find X in? You know? And yeah, I mean, I felt so dumb, but like, I would always just call my mom. Hey mom, how do I do this? Hey mom, how do I know when my car needs an oil change? Because these things I just, yeah, we, we don't, I mean, some kids can go to public school and learn them, but I think a lot of families when they, especially when they send their kids to public school, they maybe don't understand the value of learning those skills as well. Um, and again, the the time is a huge factor. What would you say are some common barriers or even just some like major homeschooling myths that you hear about a lot, um, or like some big concerns that parents might have about homeschooling? I think one of the big ones is that parents feel like, well, they're comparing themselves to public school teachers and they're saying, well, I am not equipped for this because I do not have this education. And what I'm always saying to families like that, parents that really have a desire to homeschool, but they don't feel equipped. I always tell them that really what a teacher is getting um, taught in college is how to do a lot of classroom management. And if you ask a teacher who went to school for teaching, um, you ask them if that's true or not, they're going to tell you it's true, that the majority of what they're learning how to do is how to follow the state standards and how to manage a classroom of 30 children. And so if you take those things away and you realize that if you know how to read and you have a desire to teach your children. I always tell moms like, and dads, because I think that both parents need to be all in with this, that you are the very best person to teach your child because you know them the best and you have a higher desire for your child to be successful than anyone else in the world. And those two things alone, that you know your child the best and that you have that desire to see them succeed. And it can't compare to a teacher who doesn't know your child. Like if you have those two things and you're willing to learn how to do it, and there's so many resources out there to hold your hand, completely equip you. Um, If you have a willingness and you have that desire, then you absolutely can be so successful and you are completely and totally qualified to do that. Um, And I feel like I have never, I have never met a mom and I talk to thousands of homeschool parents all year long. And I have never met someone who felt felt like that and started and continued to feel that way. Every single time it gets debunked. And they're like, I can't believe that I thought that this was going to be different. I, I can't believe I thought that I was not going to be able to do this. Like, this is so much easier than I thought, so much more life-giving than I thought. And um, it's just a huge sigh of relief once they really just jump in and do it. And the other thing I would say is socialization, which I do feel like, I don't know. I feel like this is one of those things that uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago was a lot bigger of a deal um, than now. And I do think that people who have even the slightest bit of experience with homeschooling now realize that this is not even worth talking about. Yeah. (laughs) But I will have to say socialization is a question that people still get, especially um, a grandmother or a, an older person, a mother, you know, um, that has no idea what homeschooling is in this generation. So in this generation, there's so much opportunity for socialization in homeschool groups and in co-ops and um, even businesses like dance studios and art studios and libraries, they have special classes for homeschoolers 
they have, you can get involved with sports. There's just like so many opportunities. But one thing that I always say is it really is up to the parent. If you have a parent who is not going to be proactive about socializing their children, then they are going to be hermits and they're going to be isolated, just like the parents probably are. But if you have a parent who is willing to do the work of finding community, of being committed to community, of cultivating friendships with your children, um, with their children, then I feel like the opportunities for true community and true long-lasting solid friendships and relationships is so much greater as a homeschool child than it is for a public school child. And the reason that I say that, and I'm, I, I can strongly say that is because if you think about it, your child goes to school and they find a friend in the second grade and they become BFF, right? And you, they come home and they, mom, 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 I have this new best friend. Well, the mom doesn't know the mom. The mom doesn't even see the child really. Unless that parent takes an extra effort with what time to, so they have less time, to get that child together with that other child and to connect with the parent who maybe they have absolutely nothing in common with. Now, if you're two homeschool children who, you know, connect at a, uh, say, a community group or at church or, you know, at some something where there's already a commonality because you already are two homeschool families. So you obviously already have something in common, right? Mm -hmm. So then these friends meet and they become close. And the chances of those two children continuing a long lasting relationship is so much higher because the parent has met the parent and there's already common ground. And so personally in our family, we have friends. Um, we, my children have so many friends that they've been friends with now for you know, four or five years, because every single week we see them at our homeschool community group. And then we also have become friends with their parents because I also attend these groups and so do their parents. And so now these are family friends who come over for dinner, who are invited to our, you know, musical performances, who have gone on vacation with us. And so there's a depth there that I feel like cannot compare in um, what they would call socialization in a public school atmosphere. I totally, totally agree. And we've had, I mean, we're new homeschoolers, but um, we've had the same exact experience. I started a little homeschool-like community group through my church because most of the families at our church homeschool. And the other thing that I've noticed is, so, um, you know, in a public school setting, a child is with the same age group basically all day long. So they're interacting with lots of kids, but they're pretty much all the same age. And then, you know, a couple of adults during the day they're interacting with, but in our homeschool group, we have age ranges from newborns all the way up to like 15, 16, 17 year olds. And they're all interacting with each other. And the older kids and teenagers are helping to like take care of and play with the younger ones. And the two-year-olds are playing with the five and six-year-olds. And so I find that And they're all interacting with adults too. And, you know, the adults that are, if we go to like a museum, they're interacting with the adults at the museum, learning life skills in the process. And so I just find that it's more reflective of real life socialization, not just 
I'm only interacting with five-year-olds or I'm only interacting with eight-year-olds, mm-hmm. you know? Um, the other thing about the public school system is, you know, you you're t- you talk about the second grader who makes a really good friend, but then the next year they might be in different yes. classes. And so then that's just, that's just a bummer because then they don't see that friend very much. And if they want to maintain that relationship, it's again, we have to find the time then to make sure that they're seeing each other outside of school. And that's just really hard. And it's not, it's not as easy to, to build authentic connections and friendships. Definitely. I was going to say the same thing about the ages. I feel like, like I have an eight-year-old daughter and her recent thing when we go to our Friday group is to mother all of the toddlers. So she's created mm-hmm. this like nature babysitting club with a couple of the other girls in the group. And she brings toys from home and she like creates this like atmosphere for the toddlers to come and do nature games with her all on her own doing. And it's become like her, her ministry. Like she loves it. It's become like this thing that, and, and then I've got another situation where my little boy who's four, his very best friend is a seven-year-old girl. In what world would that happen in a, in a public school? And they are buddies, like they are best buddies. They've been buddies now for two years. And every Friday when they see each other, they buddy up. They have a commonality. There's something that, that connects them. That's not just age um, or the classroom that they're in. And so, yeah, it gives them all these opportunities. And again, just like you said, like when else in life are, as soon as you graduate, when else in life, anywhere in family, in church groups, in a business, um, are you with all the same people, like the same age people? You you right. gravitate toward people who have something that connects you together, a hobby or a value, not your age, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so it really doesn't make sense that people look at the different, like they'll look at public school children and they'll look at homeschool children and go, they're not getting socialized just because they're not in a classroom of 30 kids every day. Right. I mean, that's relatively a new version of socialization, the classroom model. Like that's not, how do we think people have socialized and lived in community with each other before public school? Right. Yeah. Um, But But it really does fall on the parent, like either homeschooled or public schooled. I just, I feel like it's important to say that the responsibility falls on the parent um, because the parent is the one who needs to pursue the relationships outside of the classroom if they are public schooled. The parent is the one who needs to continue to pursue the relationships or build community or be consistent in showing up, even if you don't know all the other moms yet, if you choose to homeschool. I think it's easier as a homeschool parent to give my children what they need socially than it would be if they were public school. And I think that's the bottom line. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. What do you, in, in your, from your perspective, what does homeschooling look like in those really early years, like kindergarten, even before kindergarten and then those early years? Yeah. So, um, we, I believe that we should not be pushing formal education on children until they're closer to age six or seven. That is how it was for hundreds of years, even in our country and like a one room schoolhouse. If you go back and look at history, that is how it is in the majority of countries around the world. In America, we have pushed it early and earlier and earlier to force children to sit still, to hold a pencil, to read. Um, I think the standard now is they want them reading before they even enter kindergarten. And so um, early on, I just decided that as I studied some different um, education philosophies, I decided that I was not going to do any formal education until age six or seven. And so that does not mean that my children have absolutely no structure or I have no intention for them before then. And so I love to talk about what intentions I have for my children before formal schooling, because 
Um, I have an eight and a nine-year-old, and then I have a two and four-year-old right now. And so my eight and nine-year-old have gone through this early years, me kind of as guinea pigs, figuring out what does it look like? Are they going to fail if I don't actually start formal schooling until six or seven? And then to see the fruit of what it has produced, I feel a little more confident sharing this now and mm -hmm. also confident going through it with my two and four-year-old and going, they do not need to sit still. They do not need to learn how to read and write yet. Now, if they want to learn, and especially when you have siblings that are younger, um, watching their older siblings read and write, they're going to want to do some of that. And so to me, it's more of an invitation rather than um, a have to at yeah. that age. But so as far as early years, what it looks like in my, my home, one of the biggest intentions I have is my children absolutely falling in love with good quality literature. And that is really actually not an easy thing to do in our culture because the majority of the library books, sadly, are not what I would call good quality literature. Um, they're taking out a lot of the, the really rich stuff. They're watering it down. They are bridging everything and they are really expect they're they're really believing that little younger children cannot um, handle the language of poetry or the language of classic literature. And so one of the things that I do is try to get my children um, used to that kind of those kinds of books. So the best of the best books, the books that have been around a really long time, or even modern books that are written um, with really rich storylines, books that you as a parent don't want to put down because you are engaged. And so um, I have a lot of free book lists on my website to help equip parents with like the best books. I specifically have a book list called 100 Books for the Early Years. So that's a really great starting point if you're listening. And even if you're not sure if your child's going to go to public school or not, like I just think it's really important in those early years to get them listening to those books. And um, it's really great for language skills, but it really sets them up to for a homeschooling atmosphere. And I think that's the question I asked myself was, what do my children need to be? What does the atmosphere in my home need to be um, before we start formal schooling? And how do I get there? So having my children fall in love with books is the first one. And then lots of life skills, kind of going back to that. So a lot of what my two and four-year-old do throughout the day are follow me around and do things with me as I talk through everything with them. So we are going to be doing laundry together. They're going to be learning how to fold the towels. They're going to be learning how to categorize the silverware because they're going to be putting it away. If you think about it, they're really doing math skills. They're doing a lot of that through life skills and they're learning a lot of cooking. So cooking, of course, has tons of math. So we're, we're scooping the blueberries in and we're counting as we do it. We are, um, you know, stirring 20 times, um, you know, where we're talking about all the different foods and how they grow as we're chopping up our vegetables. So they're learning through life skills um, and then lots and lots of unstructured play. So we are pretty minimal when it comes to toys. We are all about imaginative, open-ended play, but my children spend probably four to six hours a day outside in our mud kitchen, in our sand pit, in the woods, um, really just having no plan. And mm -hmm. I think at that age, they come up with some amazing things. They process a lot of what you've been speaking to them about, a lot of what you've been reading to them as they're climbing trees and as they're becoming those characters. And really that's enough at that age. And it will, it's, it will be okay if they don't pick up a pencil till they're age six. They'll yeah. get it. 
Totally. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that though that play that especially playing in nature and climbing and and developing all of those gross motor skills, um, is really the foundation of learning it. Like it's not, it is learning. It is part of their school at that age. Um, and I think it's, it's so important. I know you kind of mentioned the, like you were doing some reading and, um, most kids don't around the world and in the past have better outcomes when they don't begin formal schooling until a little bit later than we typically begin here in the States. And there's also a ton of research that it's just generally better to wait. Um, especially in terms of like doing writing and, and handwriting and things like that. Like kids are just being forced to learn these things really before they're developmentally ready. And from like a motor, um, a motor capacity perspective as well. But so I would say like a lot, one of the things that we do without even thinking about it is a lot of opportunities for my children to use their fine motor skills in real life situations. So my uh, four-year-old son is really into hammering. So he has a pile of wood and a little bowl of nails outside and a little mini hammer. And he spends so much time hammering those nails in. And to me, that is more valuable than him writing with a pencil right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, if they are interested in letters, I always encourage parents for the first year or two years that you're even introducing them to letters, that they are forming the letters out of clay. They are, um, you know, they're using like wax sticks and creating the letters or they're using a salt tray, anything that they're not having to be forced to hold a pencil, but they can still learn the letters if they're interested. They can still learn the numbers, but just giving it to them in a, in a opportunity that they're working on their fine motor skills before right. you're expecting them to to do something that their little hands really weren't designed to do yet. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I would love to hear more about like your personal experience with homeschooling and kind of what that looks like for you. And I think that a lot of families listening might find that helpful too, because I think it's always just helpful to actually hear specifics from a parent who is in the midst of it doing homeschooling. So could you tell us a little bit more about what your daily routine homeschooling looks like? Sure. And I love talking about daily rhythms. That's kind of like a homeschool like phrase, a daily rhythm instead of a schedule or routine, because um, the way that life goes, like one thing to realize is that as a homeschool mom, I am also a wife. I am also the one keeping my home. I also own a business. Um, And so, and then I have a toddler and I have a preschooler. And so when I talk about my daily rhythm and my daily routine, Um, I have to tell you it in light of everything else in my life. And I feel like when people hear the whole picture, it's actually more helpful than just saying, you know, the school part, because I like to give a picture of what it looks like to also have self-care as a woman, what it looks like to care for my home. So I'm just going to like take you through a typical weekday from like the time I wake up, because I feel like that will be the most helpful. Um, So again, I have a two, a four, an eight and a nine-year-old. And, um, so technically I think we don't really do grades, so that's a whole nother topic of conversation, but (laughs) my, uh, my eight and nine-year-old, I think are technically like third and fourth grade maybe. Um, so that kind of gives you a picture of that. And then I've already talked about what, you know, what preschool looks like. So you can just kind of imagine my little ones running around doing all of that while I'm telling you everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, so my husband and I both, um, own our own businesses. We're also currently building a house. And my husband is the general contractor. So a lot of our day has to do with 
our house build, which has been a really an amazing learning experience for my children. And so um, my husband and I both wake up and early and we kind of rotate who goes and works out and who stays home and has like our morning quiet time, reading the Bible, journaling, having a minute to breathe before our children wake up. Um, and so my husband goes and works out while I get up and do that. And then we flop and I go work out while he comes home and um, he starts the kid's day really with uh, doing family devotions over breakfast. So I make breakfast before I leave for my workout and he completes the breakfast and starts their school day essentially um, over breakfast. So while they're eating, all four of them, he's leading them in. Right now they're going through a book talking about heroes of the faith. So they're talking about Corey Ten Boom and her faith and um, her bravery. So they're, he's telling them about that. He's reading a story. Um, they're reading through Matthew. They learn prayer. They're praying together. Sometimes they're worshiping or they're journaling. Um, and so around eight o'clock, I come home and I, I kind of do the next block of our day and he leaves for work um, or working on the house. And they do about an hour of uh, personal responsibility. So they are doing their chores while I'm doing my morning chores and the little ones are helping me. We are preparing for our meals for the day. I like to do all of my meal prep in the morning um, because I have such a busy day. So I normally actually pack their lunches in lunch boxes, even though we're staying home, I have like the little stainless boxes. That's a pro tip that has helped me over the years. So that. When yeah. lunchtime comes, we just pull them out. And if we're outside or if we're doing our read aloud, they're already prepared. Yeah. So I kind of clean up from breakfast, make lunch, throw dinner in the crock pot or like do whatever prep I can do, throw a load of laundry in, get the dishes started. And I kind of have like till 930 in my head to get the little ones dressed get all of this ready and kind of we gather at 9.30 for morning time. Um, and so by 9.30, my kids, my big kids have personal things that they've already done. They have to get dressed. They have to clean their room. They have other chores like taking out the trash and, you know, they have their own lists. So um, by 9.30, we gather. And that is the time of our day where we start out with music. Um, I try to do things that my little ones enjoy to kind of engage them. Morning time is for everyone. And so it's about an hour. And right now we're going through spring nature study. Um, so I developed a nature study curriculum and that's our morning time. And so this week we're learning about seeds and sprouts. And so there's a lot of things in morning time that are hands-on. We're doing music, we're doing poetry. Um, we're doing hands-on projects like planting a seed. And so the little ones are watering their seeds. We have a book basket. So sometimes the big kids are reading to the little kids or we're splitting into two groups and the big kids are reading independently and I'm reading to the little ones. Um, we're doing movement and music. So I kind of like created this curriculum that could be a family style learning um, because that's really important to me. And so we do that for the first hour. And then, um, the, uh, then the older kids start working on the work that they can do independently. And this has been sort of newer in the last year. But for the next hour, they work through their math and through some copy work. Um, and through some grammar and just some things that they can do mostly on their own. And at that point, I'm either reading aloud to the little kids or I'm, you know, doing some chores. Um, maybe I'll take the little ones outside, but the big kids know they can come to me and how, if they have a math question or something like that. So that's the time where my big kids are mostly in charge of their schoolwork. Um, then we all take an outside break and that's usually around 1030 or 11. We go outside and uh, take a nature walk or just ride bikes. I mean, 
whatever, go in the woods. It's about 30 minutes where we have a snack and do a break. And then when we come back in um, is when we have lunch and I do a read aloud. And so this is like our chapter book that we're working through. The little ones can be super distracting during this time, but they've learned like mommy's reading aloud. So you guys can eat and then go back out and play or you can go play upstairs. Um, sometimes they end up being loud and the big kids are just used to it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then, so we're reading through a chapter book during lunch. So as you can see, a lot of our, a lot of our school is even done over meals because when they're busy with something, they can listen better um, yeah. or the little ones are kind of occupied. So it helps. And um, after that, um, I, the, we usually have a little bit more of a break. And then from about like 1130 or 12 to one is the more focused attention that I want to have with my big kids. And so during that time, my, uh, my two-year-old might be going down for a nap and my four-year-old will be playing alone, or I might give him something at the table that will help him be quieter, but it's not really a time that a lesson is including him. He can listen in, but it's not, it's like more, I might be doing a really in-depth study of something or a harder book for him to really grasp. Um, or we're doing notebooking. So a lot of narrating, a lot of writing, things that the kids need a little more work, you know, help with. So we do that for the last hour. So if you look at all of that, that is all of our school for the day. And we are done by maybe 1230 or one with some breaks in there. Um, really the rest of the day, uh, four days a week, I work in the afternoon. And so we have a nanny who comes and this is somewhat newer. I started my business without help. Now I have a nanny who comes and helps for four hours in the afternoon. Um, and so she was homeschooled herself. So she actually does table time with them where they listen to audiobooks and she teaches them handcrafts. They're learning to crochet. They're doing paper crafts. She's kind of taken on that area of my life. So I'm very grateful. Um, they also just spend a lot of that afternoon time outside. And um, in the afternoons I'm working, I am maybe meeting with my husband at the house to do house build decisions, running errands. And then I'm done at five. We have dinner. Um, we have family time. And then my husband reads another read aloud to the big kids at night while I take the little ones upstairs and we do more reading. Lots of reading in our yeah. day. And that's that's pretty much the whole day. And then I crash because I'm a very busy woman. So I yeah. crash by, you know, nine o'clock, 930 because I get up pretty early. So that's a typical day in my life. Yeah. I love that. I love to hear about um, families, homeschooling rhythms, um, and kind of how they do things. Cause every family has such a different routine, a different rhythm. And I, I, I always get ideas. I'm like, Oh, that's yeah. a good idea. Let me incorporate that. And I think that's the beauty of it really is you can always change it when something's not oh, working definitely. for you, like experimenting and finding, okay, what works best for us right now in this season in another season that might look different. Um, but like, I've heard, I've talked to families who they work even more, like maybe they work full time. And so a lot of the homeschooling is being done in the evenings or the weekends. Weekends. And I mean, that's really the beauty of homeschooling is you really fit it and mold it to make it something that works for your family and your unique circumstances. And I love that. Yeah, definitely. I have a lot of blog posts about various rhythms over the years because there was a season where we were nap schooling. So as soon as the little ones were taking a nap, that is when we did the bulk of our schooling because they were just too distracting. Um, my big kids are independent readers, very self-motivated now, but that's not true when they're just learning to read and you really need more dedicated time. And so um, then I have, yeah, I have rhythms, all kinds of rhythms. We, we school year round. So that is a typical day, but then there are days where we only do an hour and then we spend the rest of the day, you know, at the lake or whatever. 
And so, yeah, I totally agree. I think that that's one of the best things about homeschooling is that glean ideas from what you hear, what you read, what you learn, but like the best thing about it is it's your story. And as long as it works for you, like you can do whatever you want. <laughs> like that's yeah, the There are no rules. Well, sometimes it depends on where you live. There might be some rules, but, but there's not little. many rules. Yeah. 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 I love that. Okay. Probably the last thing that we'll really have a chance to touch on. This is a big question, but I'm curious to know if you use a specific type of curriculum. I know this will probably be a, like a common question that listeners have. And also, cause I know there's so many different styles of homeschooling, so many different curriculums. Do you have any tips for how families can choose a curriculum or a kind of style learning style that works best for their family? Yeah, so I always recommend starting with the style or the philosophy first. That will help you um, weed out a lot. So if you start by researching, you know, homeschool philosophies, um, and we have a quiz on my, a free quiz on my website, actually, on like, what's your homeschool style? So even something like that might help or finding um, blog posts that kind of go into depth about each homeschool style and just sort of asking yourself, you know, if, if it was a completely blank canvas and I had no formal former idea of what it means to be educated. So try to take it out of your mind, even how you were educated, um, about what you believe about school systems, just take it all out, start from scratch and say, I have a child. I want to give them all the tools that they need to be successful in life. Which one of these philosophies feels right? Which one of these feels like it fits my personality my interests, my values, what could I envision in my home? And also considering your child's learning style. So if there's a learning style that's very workbook heavy and you know a lot of sitting still, but you know that that's not gonna vibe with your child's personality, well, that needs to be taken into consideration. And so I always say, start with the philosophy, start with, and one way you can do that, that's like a lot more organic than just like reading articles is following bloggers, following Instagram accounts where you can see a peek inside of their day and you can actually see like, oh, wow, what they're doing seems to bring a lot of life. Like that makes me feel like that's very life-giving to me because listen, homeschooling is a really long journey. As the parent, you need to enjoy it. And so I always encourage moms, like you need to pick what you think you can do long-term. What's going to bring you life? And I know for me, including uh, creative creative things, including the arts, including hands-on projects, including getting outside, not being too formally structured, that brings me life. Now, that's not the same to someone else, maybe, because I'm me. But you need to kind of start there. From there, let's say you zone it down into, I'm a Charlotte Mason homeschooler. Like, that feels the the most right to me. From there, then start searching for curriculum that fall into that category rather than the other way around and being like, this curriculum looks good. What philosophy is it? Oh, I don't know if I'm that philosophy because you're going to be really overwhelmed really quick. So starting with your philosophy and what you believe about home education and then from there going into the curriculum and kind of deciding like which one seems the best out of that. And I think the other thing that's important to say is like, it's so much more about the parent and about your connection with your children and about your home atmosphere than it is which curriculum you choose. Because you can pick the same curriculum that I pick, but it can feel completely different in your home than it does in mine. Because it matters more about the um, how, how you use it. 
and how you connect with your children over it. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And so um, I think that it's important just to kind of like get that out of the way first to realize that the curriculum is not like the savior of, of your homeschool. Like you need to decide what you want your schooling to look like, what you want your feel, the feeling of your home, what you want your children to get out of their education first, and then let your curriculum be a tool to aid that rather than the curriculum be like the, the most important thing. Right. Cause you could probably choose pretty much any curriculum and like have a successful and joyful homeschool experience. It really just depends on your needs and your priorities and preferences kind of as a family, right? Yes. Andy, how you as a mother or as a father are implementing whatever tool you have, Mm -hmm. because as much as I would hate it, I, if I only had the option of using textbooks and workbooks, I could use that as a tool and still create a life-giving home um, atmosphere by being creative with it and by realizing that it's not a bunch of check boxes I have to complete, but that I am the boss of my homeschool and I am the leader of this atmosphere and I can cultivate life and true education with whatever tool you give me. Now, it's really helpful if the tool is, you know, really easy to use and it's easy to implement and it's easy to make that atmosphere happen quickly. But if you don't have that, maybe you don't have the resources and you just need to use free curriculum or you just need to use library books. Like, I just feel like we put too much weight on the actual curriculum and not enough um, importance on the mother or the father and creating that atmosphere and really just seeing, asking ourselves, like, are our children at being educated, like, in their everyday life just because we in- invite them into this feast of learning? Right. Yeah. I love that. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. This has been, I just think so encouraging and I know everybody listening will probably be really encouraged by it too. Would you mind just telling those who are listening where they can find you if they want to learn more from you and what resources or offerings you have available? Sure. So I have, um, my, my biggest platform is Instagram and you can find me at treehouse underscore schoolhouse. Um, I'm sure you'll put the details in the show notes. We also have a blog. Um, I have a, a five or six year running blog where I blog regularly and I share practical tips, inspiration for biblical motherhood, for family life, um, mostly home education. Um, most of our resources lean towards a Charlotte Mason education. We also, I don't subscribe to any one life homeschool style. We have a lot mixed in there, classical education, a Waldorf education, Montessori. So if any of those like resonate with you, you'll probably find some resources over on our website helpful. I have a whole series of blog posts for a brand new homeschool mom or someone who's searching. So a homeschool 101 post where it breaks down step-by-step like, hey, you're interested in homeschooling. What do I even do? Where do I start? Um, As mentioned, I have the homeschool style quiz. I have loads of free book lists. I have free unit studies. And so on the curriculum side, um, we started developing curriculum about four years ago. We, as in our whole Treehouse Schoolhouse team. um, And I have a Christmas curriculum. I have an Easter curriculum. And then we have all four seasons of nature study that are a family style Charlotte Mason seasonal nature study curriculum. Um, And so those are kind of like our, the big thing that you'll see over there. We do a lot of talk about nature and about the arts and beauty and truth and goodness and including that in your homeschool. 
Um, we also have a YouTube channel where I take you on a tour of our homeschool room and we talk about homeschooling with littles. And so that's sort of just new. We're kind of getting that developed. So those are some of the places that you can find me. Um, I also do have a discount code for you guys, for the listeners today. You can find that discount code in the show notes. Yes. All of that will be linked in the show notes. Lindsay, thank you so much for doing all this. I also just appreciate so much your just wealth of knowledge and the free resources you provide to parents as well, um, because it can be really overwhelming, especially if you don't know many homeschooling families or you didn't come from a homeschooling family to like really figure it out and, and know where to start. And so I always look to people that I follow on Instagram or people in my life that are homeschooling. And so I know I'm not alone in this, but I just appreciate your work and what you do so much. Definitely. Just when you're reading my content, just try to imagine us going together to the coffee shop and talking it through, because that's what I like to do the most in real life Mm -hmm. and take moms through the journey because everybody needs somebody to kind of like help them take that step. So I'll be your girl. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.